Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. This is episode 16. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program, which today is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped develop young men and helped them to be great on the court and in the community, and the alumni of Hoop City include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. They have a spring league coming up, and they are taking registrations now, and... Because you are a listener of the Grizz Weekly Grind, I've got a deal for you. $55 off your Hoop City registration for the Spring League. All you need to do is at checkout, enter the coupon code PETE. That's my name, P-E-T-E. Enter that at checkout at HoopCityBC.com, and you will save $55 off the registration fee for the Spring League. On today's program, we'll talk about that was the week that was, as we always do. Only one game to report on Since we last visited, and that was the road loss at Dallas. Also a handful of Petey's points today. We'll talk a little bit about the All-Star game. It is always a good conversation starter and a subject with a fair amount of controversy about who's in, who's out, and uh, whether the game should be played, which it is going to be played, whether, uh, whether fans or players agree with it or not, but it will be played in Atlanta. In addition, uh, we got a mailbag. Got some questions? You can always hit me up at Pete Pranica. That's my Twitter handle. And uh, ask me some questions, and I will do my very best to answer those. So I've got a handful of uh, questions. So we'll open up the mailbag today. And then our latest friend of the program is Brian Seaman. He is in his second season as the television voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. Grizzlies have a pair of games coming up against the Clippers on Thursday and Friday night. And so uh, we'll get Brian's take on where the Clippers are and uh, where they are is near the top of the Western Conference with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard leading the way for them. So uh, Brian Seaman, our friend of the program, a little bit later on. But for now, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Well, on Monday, the Grizzlies, having gone 2-2 and on their homestand, went down to Dallas to take on the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Mavericks had not played in eight days. They had had a couple of games postponed, uh, more for weather. Uh, They were not COVID-related, but um, the weather down in Texas, uh, the lack of utilities that were available. So Dallas actually had not played in eight days. They had last played uh, on uh, Valentine's Day, Sunday, February the 14th, in a loss to Portland. Well, they came out like gangbusters, and for a second consecutive game, the Grizzlies did not come out with very much in the way of offense in the first period, and the Mavericks led a 26-13 after one quarter, and it was not all about Luka Doncic. This was a ball game that really was more about the Dallas bench. Tim Hardaway Jr. with 29 points made 7 of 11 from downtown. That's a phenomenal number, especially when you compare it to the fact that the Grizzlies had a third consecutive game of really poor three-point shooting. Grizzlies shot 6 of 31, which for you math nerds, works out to 19.5%. So Tim Hardaway Jr. all by himself outshot the Grizzlies from three as he made seven. The Grizzlies as a team made six. Uh, Grizzlies in the last three games have made a total of 16 threes. 
Dallas made 15 in the game on Monday. Grizzlies never led in this game. They trailed by as many as 23. Grizzlies did put together a pretty good fourth quarter effort. Defensively, this was not a bad game for the Grizzlies. I mean, Dallas, one of the most proficient scoring teams over the last half dozen games, was held to 102 points. 102.92 was the final, by the way, in case I didn't mention that. Uh, Grizzlies held them to below 45% shooting. In fact, below 44% shooting. 36.5% from three. That's a reasonable number. Grizzlies forced 16 turnovers. Problem was, Grizzlies weren't converting off those turnovers. Only 12 points off the 16 Dallas turnovers. And the Grizzlies, well, what killed them, particularly early, was their lack of transition defense. Grizzlies gave up 24 fast break points. Basically, Dallas doubled their season average in fast break points. Grizzlies only had two the entire night. Grizzlies dominated in the paint, as they always do, with 56. But the issue was uh, just didn't shoot it very well, particularly from three. I mean, when you're minus nine and threes made in a game, it's that's a lot of possessions that you've got to make up. And uh, unless you're really rolling and forcing some turnovers, that that minus nine disparity in three-point shooting simply is not going to work. Grizzlies had more of their people back. Uh, Kyle Anderson was back. Brandon Clark was back. Grayson Allen was back. Grayson Allen now in the last couple of games, he is over uh, from downtown. So his three-point shooting, which he had had multiple threes in 10 straight games, he struggled the last couple of games. Kyle Anderson came back. He had nine. Brandon Clark was in the starting lineup with 11 points for him. Valanchunas rings up another double-double. Second consecutive rough outing for Justice Winslow, just one of 10 shooting for three points. He logged 26 minutes in the game. And so his timing and his, his shot-making is going to have to come back. And it, it, it look, he hasn't played basketball, NBA basketball, for over a year. So I guess, uh, you know, that is somewhat to be expected and uh, hopefully the shooting eye will come back when the Grizzlies take on the Los Angeles Clippers in the next couple of games. So the Grizzlies now fall below 500, and they face a very difficult test against a good Los Angeles Clippers team that uh, is basically at full strength as we go ahead. So that was the week that was. The loss in Dallas for the Grizzlies puts them at 13-14, and 14, heading into the back-to-back with the Los Angeles Clippers. Well, let's get to some PD's points. Well, the All-Star Reserves were announced on Tuesday night. Not a huge surprise. John Morant was not among them. There are a lot of deserving guards in the Western Conference, and much of the conversation focused on Devin Booker of Phoenix not making the All-Star game. Damian Lillard is in this season, and uh, Booker did not make it. Uh, That seemed to be at least in the minds of a lot of people, the largest snub uh, in the Western Conference. Now, Anthony Davis will not be able to play from the Los Angeles Lakers in the All-Star game, so it is possible that Booker could make it as an injury replacement. In the East, DeMontis Sabonis didn't make it, and again, a lot of people felt that he should have been on the Eastern squad, uh, but he was left off as well. Um, Look, and I've had some conversations uh, on social media with people about this. Right now, the All-Star rosters are 12 players uh, with starters and and seven reserves. The current active rosters in the NBA are 15. Is there really any harm in having a 15-man All-Star roster for each conference? I don't know that there's any harm in that. This is essentially a fans game. You have the fans vote 
their vote makes a difference. Their vote, their voice makes a difference in who plays or does not play in this game. And I would, I would argue that if you are going to appeal to more fans, you need to have more teams represented. Right now, the Grizzlies fans, uh, they would be interested in the All-Star game, but they're also would be more interested if John Morant were playing in the game. And um, Phoenix, of course, already has representation with Chris Paul. But if, if you have more players, and I think 15 is a reasonable number. You don't want to go any higher than that. But I think 15 is a reasonable number. You are going to expand the appeal of the game from, you know, the, the, the casual fan that, uh, you know, might not be watching the game will watch the game, particularly in Memphis, if, if a John Moran is, is added to the roster. So, I don't see the harm in it. Uh, some people have have opined on social media that if you were to expand it to 15, now you dilute the honor of being an all-star. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, but I, I just, for me, I would, I would like it to be at 15. I just think that that will involve more players. It will therefore engage more fans because in all likelihood, more teams would be represented. And I think it would be good for the league. But that's just me. Um, Petey's point number two, and this is really what happened in the game in Dallas. The Grizzlies struggle to score in the half court. They lead, at least going into the Dallas game, they were leading the league in percentage of points coming from fast break. They are second in the league in percentage of points coming in the paint. They were number one in percentage of points scored off turnovers. They are among the league leaders in percentage of points scored in second chance opportunities. So the Grizzlies, the majority of their offense or, or a large share of their offense comes in these specialty type situations where they turn you over, they get a second chance score, they get a fast break score. But scoring in the half court really is, is very, very difficult. And, and this is what hurt the Grizzlies against Dallas. Dallas was able to dig in defensively and they were able to handle the Grizzlies and hold them below 40% shooting. Grizzlies, just to give you an example, Grizzlies get about 14% of their offense from fast break scores. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it leads the NBA. At least it was going into that Dallas game. Grizzlies only had five fast break opportunities the entire night and converted just one of them. Well, if, if you're, you with, with two fast break points, you're, you're not going to get a whole lot done. And again, as I said, and that was the week that was, Grizzlies did not do a very good job of converting turnovers they forced 16 which is a pretty good number but only 12 points off those turnovers um the grizzlies had 13 offensive rebounds and scored just 10 points off those offensive rebounds they were three of 12 in converting uh field goal attempts off of second chance opportunities rick carlisle did a masterful job he basically said okay we're, we're not going to let you beat us uh in transition and they were able to not give up points off their own turnovers, and they were able to defend the second-chance opportunities. And so the Grizzlies' most reliable forms of offense were all shut off in that game, and, and the result is the Grizzlies lose the game 102-92. to For the Grizzlies to take the next step up, they do need to have a better conversion rate in the half court. They do need to be able to unlock a defense that has dug itself in in the half court. That, to me, is going to be the next evolution of this Grizzlies team. They're very, they can be very good in transition. They're very good in second-chance scoring. They're obviously outstanding in paint scoring. But 
Can they get scores in the half-court situation? That, to me, is going to be the biggest thing to see whether or not they, uh, they actually go forward. One of the things, too, and this is the final PD's point for today, uh, you know, doing the research on Luka Doncic in advance of the Dallas game. And I understand Luka did not have, by his standards, a very good game at all, just 21 points, seven rebounds, and five assists, and shot a miserable two of nine from the free throw line. He is really a unique player. And I know that LeBron James right now is going to be the, the favorite, foremost valuable player in the league. But when you look at Luka Doncic's game and what he is able to do, brings a level of physicality to the lead guard position. He can distribute. Uh, he accounts with his own scoring for about 25% of Dallas's offense, but he sets his teammates up with great regularity. Uh, dribble penetration. He will frequently admit that he's not the fastest or most athletic guy in the world, but yet he can get to the spots where he wants to. He's one of the most proficient drivers of the basketball, not only scoring off his own drives, but setting up his teammates off drives. And yet he is one of the league leaders in jump shots made. So he is as as well-rounded a player as you're going to find in the NBA. And he really is a lot of fun to watch. And on Tuesday night, came up with a buzzer beater to beat the Boston Celtics uh, in Dallas. Clutch player. Mr. Triple-Double, just really a fabulous all-around player. We did not see his best against the Memphis Grizzlies, but uh, he's a guy that, like I said, LeBron James, probably favorite for most valuable player. Luka Doncic should definitely be in that conversation uh, because, to me, he is as good an all-around player on the offensive end as anybody we have in our league. And that does it for today's edition of PD's Points. And we segue now to the mailbag. But before we get to the mailbag and we open that up, we'll make this announcement and tell you if there was there if there was one thing that you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement and become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They are doing framing consultations by appointment because of uh, the COVID pandemic. So call them at 901-685-7796. You will get their undivided and personal attention for your framing project. Everything that I have in my office, all the memorabilia, all the photographs, it's all been framed by Garner Framing Company, and they do a fantastic job. And you will be very pleased with what Chris Garner and his staff will be able to do for you. And we thank Chris for supporting the Grizzlies Foundation here on the Grizz Weekly Grind. All right, first question in the mailbag. Should the Grizzlies hold a fire sale, get rid of Jonas Valanciunas and Kyle Anderson for first-round picks? The answer, quite simply, is no. (laughs) <laughs> you you need a veteran presence on this team. This is already the second youngest team in the NBA. And if you overload your roster with first, second, and third year players, then you are going to be putting yourself in some contractual binds because then in short succession, you're going to have to deal with rookie deals and picking up options and, and things like that. The other piece too is um, if you were to trade your veterans for picks, then you're left with just a lot of young players. And in the NBA, you you don't win 
you don't make the playoffs with super young teams. The only team that's younger than the Grizzlies is the Minnesota Timberwolves, and and they're clearly not good, having just fired Ryan Saunders. So, no, I I don't think you want to start moving your veterans out. Now, and certainly not for picks. If you are going to make any type of deal, I think that you need to get a bona fide score. You need to get a veteran. Uh, This team is, is young, and the future is bright. But I don't think that by stacking more and more draft picks, you're going to help yourself in the short term. So uh, my answer to the fire sale would be no, don't do it. Also got the question, which pair of teammates seems to have the best chemistry on this team? And uh, the suggestion they made was Tyus Jones and DeAnthony Melton. And I, and I, I, with all due respect, I don't see it. I would say if you had to look at the best pairing of teammates as far as their connection, their ability uh, to connect with one another. I'm going to go with, I'll give you a double answer on it. I'll, I'll give you Jonas Valanciunas and John Morant. I don't think it's any anything but cause and effect that John Morant's numbers, particularly his assist numbers, have come up since Jonas came back from the health and safety protocols. So I, I would give that as one to you. Uh, I would also go back, and, and this this goes back more to last year than this year, but I think Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark had an amazing synergy last year. I mean, last year, uh, you know, Brandon Clark was one of the league leaders in rolling to the rim and finishing in pick-and-roll situations, and it was Tyus Jones who was doing the delivery more often than not. So uh, that's those, those are the two pairings that I would give you as being the very, very best when it comes to, uh, to having the best chemistry. And that does it for today's edition of The Mailbag. As I said, if you would like to chime in with a question, I will be happy to answer it. At Pete Pranica is my Twitter handle, so just go ahead and hit me up there, and maybe we'll answer one of your questions in a future edition of The Mailbag on the Grizz Weekly Grind. Time now to visit with our friend of the program. Brian Seaman is in his second season as the television voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, moving over from the radio side after the retirement of Hall of Famer Ralph Lawler. Uh, Brian also previously had been the radio voice for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Proud Kansas graduate, great golfer, great guy. And uh, we sat down and had an opportunity to chat a little bit about the uh, upcoming back-to-back between the Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Clippers. So, Brian, Clippers uh, near the top of the West, new coach in Teron Liu, but... I mean, he's been part of the organization before, so would it be fair to say it's been a pretty seamless transition from from Doc Rivers to Ty? That's a good question about seamless. As far as, you know, him being familiar, probably more seamless for him than I think others because there were some new faces around him, you know, as far as the entire coaching staff is different. There were some new faces on the floor and and really kind of a new attitude. But by and large, I mean, it's been a, a pretty good process. I kind of felt, you know, once the decision was made to move on from Doc, who I love and I have nothing but wonderful things to say about in his time here with the Clippers, I felt that Ty was the right guy. They interviewed everybody. Um, I think that Steve Ballmer wanted to go through the process of seeing what else is out there. And he saw, hey, we've got the guy already. And, you know, I think Ty has filled in and just done an incredible job. And he brings different attributes to the job. So it's been fun to watch him work and much like you, you know, we're having these conversations just like this. So I haven't really had a chance to sit down, go behind the curtain with Ty, knock on wood, one day that happens. But I've enjoyed talking with him. He's, he's a terrific human being. 
you've had some new faces, not only on a coaching staff, but also from a, from a standpoint of, of player personnel, because now you have Nick Batum who went through kind of some lean years in Charlotte and Serge Ibaka, who, you know, longtime solid player. So you've got those two guys to add along with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. How have those two guys integrated with the rest of the team? Uh, well, I can definitely use the word seamlessly there. You know, Nick Batum was a, was um, a great pickup when they got him. I thought, I think this guy could probably average maybe six points, maybe four rebounds, but the numbers behind the curtain would be the ones that would be great. Like the advanced metrics would be when he's on the floor, you're a plus 15. Everyone's getting shots. He's come in. That's happened. And oh, by the way, he's making shots and he has been great. He's a great locker room guy. And, and you know this. I mean, he's the kind of player that takes a good team and puts them over the top. He's not a team that takes a bad team and brings them to the championship level, which is what they were trying to do in Charlotte. You know, he and Steve Clifford had a great synergy. It didn't work out with the new staff. As far as Serge goes, you know, having played with Kawhi, I, I tell you what, when Kawhi wants to play with you, that's a big sign. And Kawhi was very happy to get Serge. Um, you know, when we have a starting five of all five players, very capable of hitting the three, we look a lot different than we did last year. And I love Avica Zubac. He is a terrific player. But him coming off the bench has been, I think, a better thing for us. So those two guys have been great new additions and I think take us to the next level. What about Pat Beverly? We all know him as being a hard-nosed defender. And, and I, I know we're, we're, we're both chuckling because we know that he uh, he's an all-world trash talker, but also a pretty good <laughs> defensive player. What's his season been like? He's been really good. You know, he, he had a sore knee, nothing major, just a sore knee, so he missed some time. But I, I was looking at the numbers. You know, we played, we played um, the, the Wizards recently just last night, and – uh, Russell Westbrook has made the comment, Pat fools everybody. He's just running around. And I wanted to have some ammo behind that. I see it with the eye test, but the, the, the ammo behind it was as far as guards go, he makes the fourth biggest impact defensively as far as net rating goes when he's on the floor. So he has been really good. And, you know, he made this comment a year ago at media day. So 2019, he said, look, I know who they're doubling off of when it comes to Kawhi and PG, I need to be ready to take my shot. And he has been ready. He has really shot the ball well since he's been a Clipper. Really, over the last four or five years, he's been an elite-level shooter. And people don't think of that. But he has been great. And he is one of those intangible guys, like a Tony Allen for you guys in the grit and grind days, where the numbers maybe don't pop off the page. But you know when he is on the floor. And the coaches and the players will tell you when he's not at practice, you can feel a difference. And it's always a positive influence on the floor for Pat and Tony. We're visiting with Brian Seaman, the TV voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. Grizzlies have a couple of games against the Clippers coming up this week. Um, when you talk about the Clippers, obviously you have to start with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, both of them going to the All-Star game. Paul George um, says, hey, you know, it's it, it's kind of cool to go to the All-Star game. Is he really excited about it or is it like, well, they picked me, so I guess I got to go? You know, I think there are players that do have that mentality. Uh, I don't think Paul was one of those guys. I think Paul, he, I know he heard the chatter last year, and some of it was self-inflicted from comments that he made a couple of years ago. But let's not forget, the guy's an, an all-world player. He, he really is. And, you know, Mike Fratello, one of the most respected analysts, I think, in the game, said that Paul might be the most complete player on the Clippers as far as being able to distribute maybe better than Kawhi. Kawhi is obviously elite in every other level. 
Uh, I think PG is excited about the all-star game. You could tell he had 25 points in the first half last night. And I'm happy for him because it, genuinely he, he is a good guy. And again, a terrific basketball player. I look forward to these playoffs because the narrative will shift. If the Clippers can close it out and win a title, the narrative is gone as far as him being a, a, you know, a lacking postseason player. So I'm hopeful for him on a lot of levels, but I look forward to him hopefully staying healthy and getting through that all-star game. If you're going to win a championship, you have to have really, really good leadership. <clears throat> Mention Kawhi and, 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 you know, Kawhi is such a quiet guy. He's been in a lot of winning situations, winning his player in NBA history is he the leader? Is PG the leader? Is Pat Bev the leader? Where does the leadership fall with the Clippers? I think the answer is yes to that question. You know, I think it does go from Kawhi to Pat and then Paul. But, you know, Kawhi also heard the chatter. And I was told, and again, we're not there present in, in, these, in the pregame and the preseason or anything like that in these shoot-arounds. But I've been told that Kawhi has been very vocal and stopping plays, encouraging players and making sure everybody is on the same page. You know, I think the playoffs can expose you in a lot of levels. And we know from a skill set standpoint that Kawhi's a fairly flawless player, like a great two-way player. But you mentioned it. He's quiet. And I think that kind of came out a little bit. He was the de facto leader for that team, but I don't think there was enough leadership there. And I think he understands that now. And I think he's been really great about it. And again, I've heard a lot of good stories about Kawhi being vocal, pulling people aside and encouraging them because that's so key in this day and age when there are no fans, you've got to have that energy from the bench and he's been great. Talk about leadership. Let's talk about your owner, Steve Ballmer. A, a lot of people see him on the sideline, jumping up and down, clapping, being very, very vociferous. You've had the opportunity to sit down with him. You interviewed with him for the television job. Give us a sense of who Steve Ballmer really is above and beyond the Uber fan that he appears to be to the casual observer. I'll start by saying this. So you're right. I interviewed with him. I had no idea uh, when I left that interview where I stood. Uh, I remember calling my wife and saying, I, I don't know if we're going to get the job, but I know that Steve Ballmer is a good man. Um, he really is. Um, obviously smart beyond words, but from an ownership standpoint, he wants to win and he proves it by letting basketball people make basketball decisions. Uh, obviously, he has perhaps deeper pockets and but to me, that's his third or fourth best attribute as an owner. I mean, he's a, he wants to win. He's letting basketball people make basketball decisions, and he's giving them the resources that they need. It's not like he's just an ATM where they say, hey, we want to have a better you know, hotel that we stay at in this city. He wants to know the reasons why, and he's like, I'm on board. He pushes the envelope. He'll push back just to test everybody. And then I just think he's just a good person. He and his wife, Connie, you know, there was a, a, a graph that was released a few months ago about, you know, where some of the richest people donate their money. And it's not about what aisle you sit on. It's about what was right in the world. And Doc Rivers had a great saying about him. He's been about the cause before the cause. And when you see his donations over the years and decades, you see it. So uh, you are familiar with the gentleman that I used to work for in that position. And it is a polar opposite and, it's something, you know, Clippers haven't won anything. They haven't gotten out of the second round. We know that history. But I tell you what, I could not be more proud to work for that organization and work for Steve Ballmer. He's that good of a guy. And you get to work with an old friend of ours here in Memphis, the czar, Mike Fratello. You said, and, and rightly so, one of the more respected analysts in the game. What has it been like working with the czar? Does, does he use the Telestrator as much as he used to back in the day? 
He uses it. Um, our, our show is so full, fortunately and unfortunately, for a variety of reasons that he probably gets it once or twice. And I'll always make a joke about you're pretty good at that. And uh, I, I just love him. Talk about great people. And you know it just as well as anybody. I mean, just a gentleman like he's that's who he is, at least on my end. He's he's cerebral. He's funny. He's dry. He's witty. Uh, he still sees the game. He's got this huge Rolodex. I think he loves to go down and find out which coaches he knows on the other team. And oftentimes it's three or four of them and he'll make the phone call to three or four of them. And he gets all the scouting reports. Uh, he's been frustrated though. And he hasn't admitted it because in California, all restaurants are basically shut down except for carry out. And he always wants to go out for a meal after the game. I'm like, Mike, I mean, all we can sit on the sidewalk and eat it. That's where we go. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. And so he's been frustrated with room service, but I just love him. And I, you know, I was of the age, you know, I was 13, 12, 13, when he started doing that stuff at NBC. And, and back in the nineties, there was no internet. I lived in Des Moines, Iowa. There was no team that I had a resource for. So what I learned about basketball literally came from Mike Fratello. And for this to now 30 years come full circle, I tell my wife who I was dating at the time, by the way, I said, what a dream. I'm going to talk to Mike Fratello or Mike Fratello. I got to just call him back. And she shakes her head because she knows how big of a deal it was for me. Right. Yeah. This, the circle is now complete. I want to wrap this up by talking about somebody else that, you know, we have known and have come to love you probably more than anybody else because you worked with him so closely. And, and that's Doc Rivers. I mean, he's moved on to Philadelphia. Clippers decided to, to move on with their coach. You know, Doc is so thoughtful and well-spoken on any number of issues. What was the biggest influence that Doc had on you or the biggest impression that he made on you while he was the head coach of the Clippers? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, specifically with just the Clippers, I mean, he came into basically a mom and pop shop. You know, I mean, there were some talented people in the front office, but literally there were like two of them. And when, when Steve Ballmer took over, Doc gave him the vision. This is what we need to do. Um, he gave us instant credibility. Um, he won games. He was a leader during the most difficult time. I think you could go through with that ownership situation seven years ago. So from a basketball standpoint, he won't be the guy that plants the flag, but he built the ship to get us there as a human being. I just, I just can't say enough great things about him. I mean, just personally was so supportive of me throughout his entire time here. Very helpful for me and in the position that I'm into now. Uh, you mentioned he would talk about any and all causes. And the thing of, it was he preferred when we do it, our, we did our interviews. He preferred to talk about those things. I would give him these random quizzes every once in a while about like literally random anything. And he was like, I want more of those. Let's, we can talk basketball later. He just was a great human being. And what you guys see in front of the camera, we see behind the scenes as well, whether it's on the plane in the locker room, I wish him nothing but the best. I've texted him a few times and I said, uh, let's, let's tee it up when it's uh, after the NBA finals uh, after, you know, whatever. And we traded barbs there, but I, I just, I literally think the world of him and I'm bummed that he's not here. I got the decision. I get it. I'm super fired up for his success in, in Philadelphia and I root for it as long as it's not against the Clippers, but he is just a 10 out of 10. You mentioned teeing it up with doc rivers. You're an avid golfer. What's what's the index right now? Have you been able to get out with, with COVID and play some golf in LA? It's funny. No, I got out in July and that was the first time in a year and I haven't played since. So I played one time in about 18 months I played very well, and uh, I think I shot with, I 
I think I've shot in the in the high 70s, which I was like, I'm in. I'm good. I'm very happy with that. But Most people would is, be. The <laughs> uh, funny thing is, like here in L.A., obviously it's crowded. A lot of people are not going to work. They have had, you know, I'm a big sneakerhead too. And when you try to buy sneakers online, they have these things called bots that gobble up all the sneakers, computer programs. They're doing the same thing with tea times here in Los Angeles. You can't get a tea time two weeks in advance. So you have to get lucky on the draw, show up as a single and it's, it's a crazy deal. So even though the weather's been very, very nice, I just haven't been able to get out. And it's a bummer. It is a bummer indeed. Well, you know, you can always come to Memphis. TPC Southwind is open. Brevin and I'm I, we, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll, get you, we'll get you hooked up. Unfortunately, uh, you will call the games Thursday and Friday from Los Angeles. And I think that's one of the things that all of us in this enterprise really miss is the opportunity to meet face-to-face with, with our colleagues. I mean, there are a lot of things about this pandemic that have changed our lives, but to me, that's been as big as anything that we can't get a chance to to visit pregame wherever the game is, whether it's Los Angeles or, or Memphis. And hopefully next year we'll be able to do that. I miss my visit to so my visits and I go to Huey's for dinner. Good choice. And then I go to the Canuck for lunch. And I they're the two, two of the best meals I'll have all year. I'm very lowbrow, by the way. Um, so I hope those businesses continue to thrive. They will continue to get my business. Should we be back out there? And I, I too miss talking with you guys pregame as well. Brian, thanks so much for the time. And, uh, I would say good luck the next couple of nights, <laughs> but I know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'll just say, have a good show. I'll try. It's a first for everything. And our thanks to Brian Seaman for visiting with us today as our friend of the program. The Grizz Weekly Grind has been brought to you today by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal is to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be, whether that be on the court, in the classroom, or in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports programs. We thank them for their support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been Episode 16 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Branica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.